0: All right, welcome back to another episode of Acquisitions Anonymous, the internet's number one podcast about small businesses for sale. I am one of your hosts, Bill D'Alessandro. I am here with my co-hosts, Michael Girdley and Mills Snell, where every week we break down two small businesses that are for sale, anonymously usually, although in this case today we have uh, one anonymous and one that we can reveal the name of. And we are joined today by our esteemed guest, Mike Botkin. So Mike is with Benchmark. Yes, Benchmark? Yep. Benchmark. All right, great. Maybe I'll let you do the rest, Mike. Uh, welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Absolutely, man. Thanks for the kind words, for sure. Uh, yeah. Tell our, tell our guests a little bit about who you are, where you came from, what you do, et cetera.
1: Yeah, we'll go backwards. We just recently closed um, on... Two deals technically, one uh, with a whole company of acquiring the original landscaping investment uh, business that we bought. And uh, what well, we just closed on Friday was a new deal into the whole company. The new one is all residential. So I'm pulling my hair out every day. And the previous one that we acquired in December of 2020 is all commercial. And uh, prior to that, I was with a real estate private equity company. And we also had a hold company for operating businesses such as resorts, hotels, restaurants. Uh, property management businesses, landscaping businesses. So uh, kind of had some good operational mix with that, as well as the uh, investment and buy side. And uh, now I am a landscaper.
0: And not just a landscaper, you're the, what, the largest landscaping provider in Orlando? For residential, we are. Yep. For residential, we are. Uh, and on the commercial side, what type of properties do you do?
1: Yeah, we do anything from uh, a hospital, hotels, uh, schools, banks. We are there's a bank called South State Bank, where they're the largest provider as well. So if you think about anything from like a an outdoor strip mall to a bank to a hospital hotel, uh, we provide that service.
0: Awesome, and you had a great story about how you kind of assembled assembled this landscaping company, which I would love for you to tell us. But first, I'm going to throw it over to Michael. Uh, to do our first sponsor read, and I'll let you uh, explain to our listeners when we get back.
2: Cool. Well, in our never-ending quest to make this podcast not lose money, we have two sponsors this week. And so uh, one is another podcast, actually. We'll talk about that in a bit. But our first sponsor for today's episode is our friends at Financial Clarity, uh, finclarity.co. They're a cloud bookkeeping service. Um, Jason and his team do work on QuickBooks, Zero. It's great if you're somebody that wants to get out of the day-to-day of bookkeeping and focus on your business. Um, they have a number of features. It's an all-virtual team. Their clients have really high NPS for them. And uh, we're thankful for Financial Clarity. And if you're looking to get out of the bookkeeping business uh, and focus on your real business, they are a great group to talk to you. So thanks to Financial Clarity for helping underwrite today's episode. Cool. Thank you to finclarity.co.
0: So, Mike, I read with great interest your Twitter thread uh, last week about kind of how you assembled the largest landscaping contractor in Orlando on the residential side. I would love it, you know, for the listeners that probably didn't see that Twitter thread. uh, Can you just kind of give us the background of how you got started and how, you know, the acquisitions that you did to kind of build this business?
3: Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'll talk more about the most recent one, which is kind of the theme of uh, the Twitter thread. But we found this one off market and it was literally from just driving around and constantly seeing their vehicles. And I, I think we all as business owners take note of competition and I just started diving deeper into them and doing drive-bys and I found their warehouse. So I drive by at different times of the day and I was really trying to get a sense to see how big they were. Um, Cause we needed to swing bigger than what we did the first time and um, looked up some state records, found the owners Uh, who are actually two uh, practicing attorneys, which made it more difficult to find, actually, and uh, contacted uh, the broker that got me my first deal and used him as kind of a go-between to reach out and even see if uh, they were interested. Because when you reach out as a potential competitor in a lot of minds, they're very guarded with what they would say. And I needed to know how big they were to see if I was just kicking a dead tire. So uh, they were interested, and we started the deal negotiation. And about midway point, uh, I knew it could close and we needed to raise funds for this deal. And I'm uh, 100% against the SBA, which is probably a conversation for another time. So we needed an equity partner. And uh, another great Twitter guy, uh, Sam Leslie, wanted to test out his uh, email blast to potential investors. And I was the kind of dummy test. And (laughs) the feedback was overwhelming, quite frankly and i was looking to kind of syndicate it and a partner came about that wanted to not only complete this transaction but also invest in the entire thesis and commit more capital and i couldn't have been uh luckier for the partner they have a service background uh, especially logistically and i look at landscaping as more of a logistical business than landscaping business And it was a great fit and great partnership. So we were able to kind of combine my original, uh, business and this acquisition and combine the two and we have the resources and kind of the brainpower to now complete my thesis on landscaping,
0: which is,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I think if you're playing in a market of acquisition, anything between, you know, two, two and a half million at the high end of SDE, all the way down, or even depending on how they trade, you can build a pretty successful business. And by applying a lot of common business practices and blocking and tackling, and you're competing on a one-off deal against other guys that have been service guys, I don't think we're uh, blind to the fact that we'll walk into a a business and be better at controlling service than what the previous owners were because that's normally their lifelong passion. But I think we can learn it as we go and implement the strategies that we've had in our past. And when you start combining them and synchronizing them, It can become a pretty successful uh, venture.
0: Yep. So, just being better at the day to day operations with best business practices.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll give you just one quick example. Both businesses we acquired, and they're both extremely successful in their area, um, they didn't have route sheets for the guys. Like, literally, the guys would just get in their trucks and go and try to remember the route on a daily and weekly basis. And when you think about, especially this past one that we just purchased, it's, I mean, it's, we are now the largest residential provider in Orlando and the service and the brand's been unbelievable and the drivers are going off memory. So if you think about that has nothing to do with service, that's, I mean, I think it's common sense, but it's a business practice. Let's have route sheets, let's have notes. And it's, you know, it doesn't take an Ivy League guy to do that or a searcher. It just takes some experience of being an operator.
3: Yep. Mike, how many trucks, how many trucks or fleets do you guys have in the, in the field? How many crews?
1: Uh combined total now, we have 20.
3: So a lot of inefficiency of guys, you know, crisscrossing and not necessarily getting from point A to point B as fast as yeah, possible. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and that's why I look at it. Uh, interesting question, Mills. That's why I look at it as a logistics business. Because if you can control your route and your fuel, you're not only being more efficient with getting to the service, but you're also saving miles on a vehicle, which lowers your uh you know repairs and maintenance which makes the vehicles last a little longer which then would allow you to get into fleet management leasing because you're not putting as many miles on and it just makes the business in a whole a lot more efficiently by doing that and there's a lot of dead cost in driving you know you got four guys driving around or five guys (laughs) that's you know it
3: adds up yep
0: yep well i'm very excited today because we have two deals mike that are right over home plate for you uh both in the landscaping business so I'm psyched to get into them. Mills is going to do our first read, lead us in, uh, and then yep. we'll get your take.
2: All
3: right. So this is uh, this is a deal that we are keeping anonymous. So we're going to not screen share any of the information, but hopefully we'll be able to get into a good level of detail so that we can kind of talk about the, the good nitty gritty details. But this is actually a, a Florida-based uh, landscaping contractor. They have been around since the 80s. And um, they, I don't, let's see, two owners. We'll just leave it at that, two owners. I find it interesting. This is on page six uh, for you guys as we're we're looking at this kind of offline. It says that their capac- capacity utilization of their equipment is 100%. I think that's kind of an interesting thing. Maybe, Mike, you'll have more context on that. But they're saying, you know, hey, we have a really well-known brand name. We have a great market position in this specific market that we're in. And they provide comprehensive landscaping and irrigation and design services, but they also do some maintenance contracts. Obviously, they feel like they have a strong customer base. They have industry expertise, great track record, really good workforce, you know, all those all those kind of boxes that need to be checked. The revenue over the past couple of years has Gone from about 6.5 million three years ago to 7.3 million to 7.5 million. And the uh, earnings on that, the discretionary earnings, which uh, we may get more detail about how it's calculated, but on 6.5 million of revenue three years ago, they had 1.2 million in discretionary earnings. On 7.3 million two years ago, they had just over a million in discretionary earnings and then in the most recent year, $7.5 million in revenue and $1.2 million in discretionary earnings. It looks like the balance sheet is presented on an adjusted basis, which is when the broker or whoever is representing the company is coming to you and saying, hey, look, our balance sheet, if you just printed it off of our accounting software today, is not the balance sheet that we're going to show you. We're going to adjust out some certain things. So In this case, the adjusted balance sheet shows current assets of just over a million dollars, net fixed assets, so that's probably net of depreciation of about $1.5 million, and no liabilities, no current liabilities, and no long-term liabilities, which means that Right, all of the AP and any debt associated with the business, maybe it was uh, debt from an acquisition or debt related to equipment, all that is being taken out of the purchase. Um, so you're, you're in essence, the way they're presenting it is you're buying this business kind of free and clear, all the debt's getting wiped out. They talk about some growth opportunities like creating a dedicated sales force, expanding their capacity where they are in the state of Florida. Increase follow-up on estimates. They maybe aren't doing a good job converting estimates to actual uh, contracted business. And then they also mentioned wanting to do a social media campaign. The owners, the two owners, uh, it says they wish to pursue other interests and are looking for an energetic owner who can continue the legacy. They're willing to stay on for a little while and uh, help with a smooth transition. Any other details that jumped out at you guys uh, that we should highlight as we're just kind of going over this? This is a, a lot of detail. and We we try and boil it down as much as we can.
2: Yeah. Well, I had a question for Mike. If I go buy a business like this, that's a a, a it looks like a full service, mostly commercial landscaping business. Like, what am I actually buying? I'm buying people. What, what else? What else am I acquiring here? Are there con- recurring contracts that I'm into? What do I get?
1: Yeah, so I, I think there's a I think we need to distinguish the difference between lawn maintenance and landscaping. And landscaping is kind of the end all be all name of everything. But there is a major difference in lawn maintenance and landscaping. Landscaping by industry definition is improving an existing landscape, right? Or installing it, developing it where lawn maintenance is obviously you can tell by the the, the name of it. It's just maintaining your existing lawn. So in essence of this company, What you are essentially buying when you buy these is you're buying their equipment, you're buying, hopefully, the right to keep all their employees, and you're really just buying their brand name. In a case like this company here, you are buying maintenance contracts, but uh, and we can dive into a little bit more, but the bulk of their business comes off of, or the lead of all their business comes off of their development side. And with a business like this, so I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but what they do and what their play is, is they build relationships with builders and will go be the installer for, think about uh, track homes. They will go be the installer for the sod, the plants, the trees on the common areas, as well as in the individual homes. So if you think about a neighborhood, which is girly, uh, they're popping up like crazy in Texas They're popping up like crazy here. They would be the company that installs everything, and then they tag on a maintenance contract after they do the install. And depending on the relationship and the service, they will either keep that contract or they will bounce out. And normally, it's a two- to three-year contract. So in this instance, to answer your question, you're buying equipment, and you're buying the maintenance contracts, and there's a big risk to what you're not buying. Which if you want to get into the, the risk, and again, I apologize if I'm jumping on this. but no, this is great. What you're buying in a risk where the business is more development. And I Mills is aware of this from my previous company conversations with him, but the core of my previous business before I got into landscaping, we were truthfully land developers. We would buy raw land, master plan it, entitle it, and then build a community and sell it off to DR Horton, KB Homes, uh pulte Homes, etc. And we would hire a company like this to do the installs and to do the clearing and to, uh, plan the landscaping and irrigation for us, the risk in that is that's not a recurring contractual basis. Your business is only as good as the real estate market dictates, which is why you see a lot of their revenue is climbing. They are in central Florida and, you know, it's one of the hottest markets in the country. And they are catching that, which is great for them. And I think they're selling at an opportune time, which is smart. Uh, but that, the risk of this deal is, can those relationships sustain as well as does the real estate market hold?
3: Hmm. Yep. Because, I mean, it's interesting, right? I mean, plenty of people make their construction or contracting or service-related businesses work without recurring revenue. It's just a matter of, How how good do you feel right about that demand persisting? And so, like in this case, I saw from some of their kind of principal customers that it is larger home developers. Right. That scares me a little bit. One, I don't know the market. And, uh, you know, I'm not drinking from the fire hydrant of inbound inquiry that you probably are, Mike, but it would scare me thinking about how like if all of a sudden two of these home builders stop they, they, they don't they don't think they mention at least in what we're looking at the uh, the revenue concentration from those top customers they talk about the split between maintenance and landscaping and irrigation but they just list some of these large home developer customers but they don't say if they're five 10, fifty percent of their revenue that that would be concerning
1: yeah they have about eight builders that make up about 90 percent of their development business. And that's a great thing because it seems like they can continuously hit that well when need to. And it seems like, and and also what that describes to me is their service is really good, right? These builders, A, they, they have to make margin on everything they do, and they cannot have an inferior product. Now, as we all know with track homes, sometimes that product decreases over time, but that's not the builder's fault or problem, really. So they need the initial install because really they're a sales business more than a home builder. They need you to pull in that neighborhood and go, wow. And when they continuously hire a company like this to do it, that tells me the service and the installation and the client support is unbelievable. And that's also difficult to continue on. And the, the biggest difference between commercial, whether it's landscaping or lawn maintenance, and the difference between residential lawn maintenance or enhancements is... Commercial is strictly, in my opinion, on relationship uh, and biz dev. Residential is on, you know, SEO and just your trucks driving by. That is also a difficult thing because you're not in control of that, other than you really hope whoever you have to build these relationships, whether being owner, a biz dev guy, a sales guy, is really staying in tune with these builders. And a lot more building companies are coming up and developing, especially in Central Florida the relationship you may have at and I'm just going to say DR Horton that guy may leave and go do something else or move to a different shop and your entire in on that business is now gone and you have to hope your work speaks for itself and the new guy wants to continue that relationship
2: so do you have I have a buddy who's in a similar business doing you know massive supply to one of the uh, to all the tracked home kind of developers here in Texas and and one thing he told me was there's really for a supplier like this or a supplier on the plumbing or electrical or the roofing side a lot of times there's only room for maybe one big one you you would be the only one of those in a market does that apply here in in the in the landscaping part of the angle or do you have to worry about somebody else deciding to get into this business and try to get to scale and compete with you
1: yeah, what and this kind of goes back to uh, Bill's question earlier with in regards to my tweet, my thesis of uh, Orlando is Central Florida and Orlando specifically is growing rapidly. But what that does is it also brings in competition, right? And eight of the top 25 largest landscaping businesses in the country either have headquarters or massive operations in Orlando. And you're talking from the top, which is Brightview, they're a public company. And then you go down the list, right? and People trying to emulate them and also duplicate what they do at a smaller scale. So there are probably in Orlando five to six real big time suppliers to these builders. There's always competition trying to rise and you know add to that list. And the top ones that you're competing with are trying to crush you. So it's a pretty cutthroat business. Yes, to answer your question, the uh, supply is you know you're not competing with 35 other guys, but. You're competing with five other guys, and those are five big boys. And you better, you know, be good at what you do, right? And, and that's also why that relationship is so important, because they do have equally qualified. And, and I'm saying this as a landscape business owner, right? You know, we can install a plant with the best of them. I'm sure over time mills, you can install a plant with the best of them. It's not there is skill to it, there is technicality to it, but a lot of the differentiating factors comes in client support, client relations bidding estimating making their life easier not so much the actual product so those five competitors it's not like you can say hey we plant a palm tree better than anyone else Eh, it's tough to say you're all
3: you're all probably (laughs) buying from the same suppliers right it's not like you have a palm tree that nobody else can get so at the end of the day there's nothing kind of captive or proprietary about the end product like it's not like you have grass that nobody else has
1: that, that you're you're 100 right and these companies tend to normally have uh well brightview has their own but uh, some of these other companies tend to have their own nurseries even in-house but again the outgoing you know to save costs but the outgoing product is the exact same a robolini palm is a robolini palm i don't care where you get it
2: from so it it looks like it looks like uh going all the way to the end of the sim they have actually an sba prequal pre-qualification letter and stuff like that, and they have a recommend, it looks like they've already kind of implicitly given, give you an asking price for this of a bit, it looks like just shy of five times adjusted EBITDA. How, How do you think about the value of a business like this? Five times seems pretty high to me. Yeah, so when, yes, is the short
1: answer. And they actually got more than what they asked for. There was a bidding war on this. And there's a bidding war on this because of how sexy it is. If you could be sexy in landscaping, which (laughs) I would please wish everyone tell my wife that you can be sexy in landscaping. (laughs) What Um, what is it
0: that makes it sexy? I mean, why is this one so sexy? uh,
1: Because it is a project-based business with unbelievable inroads to maintenance and uh, installation enhancements, which is where your margins can jump drastically what worried me was that sounds great from the outskirts and stepping back that sounds great i think my previous history as a land developer is what cautioned me a ton was i know how this goes with picking these companies to do the work for you and it could turn like you know in the blink of an eye and but if i didn't have that background it, you know listen you're doing project based business at extremely high margin and then you're getting to tack on recurring revenue like that's you know that's a great business model.
0: Yep. So the, the risk of the customer concentration is also the benefit here because you're in with the builders, which leads uh, to the maintenance contracts.
1: And, and they've, had the, they've done a phenomenal job and they've built and they have that relationship in with those builders and they've been their supplier for years. So it's great when it's rolling. And just like anything, if you look at it from a construction standpoint, you need to protect your downside as much as possible of that relationship not working. But for them on the outside, oh my gosh, they have this relationship with these, you know, eight builders. They've been hitting that well constantly. The real estate market's going up. More and more land is being sold to be developed. It's great on the outside. And I do think this is a good business. And we put in a an extremely competitive offer, we thought. And it was like, you know, not even close good enough
2: to what came in, So what it, i mean the thing looking at this sim that it was just like these guys are killing it and they're not even really trying that was the impression i had when i left and that's i think what other people maybe saw the same thing like oh if i just bring a minimal level of competence to unlock this recurring revenue you know that, that's uh, a it could be, sorry go ahead nope nope you're about to say something really smart this is where i
1: shut up so that is a fool's illusion, right? If I come in and I add marketing to this, we're going to take off like you know, no one's business. Marketing helps you zero in this zero, and depending on how you define marketing, it is strictly relational and biz dev. It is literally a guy taking all these builders to launch. I mean, doing the good old this you is know B
3: two B. This is not B two C, even though it's residential.
1: Exactly. So they they put on the sim. And I think very smartly by the broker you know, some marketing and web help, you know, will help this business. BS will have nothing. To, we'll have nothing to do with the success or failure of this business.
2: What? So was the winning bidder for this actually somebody from the industry or was it somebody coming in from outside that was maybe a little bit less sophisticated?
1: Uh, I don't know, but they paid seven times. Ooh. And the mar- <laughs> adjusted. the market on this, so. On normal lawn maintenance, you need to be anywhere between 1.75 to like 2.4, 2.5 times. And then you can go up and down a little bit based on the business. And once you get into more landscaping, you do venture into the three and four times, right? The size of this business, I think it's fair anywhere between three and four. You could talk me into a little bit more than that, but not much. And uh, it, you could not talk me into seven at all someone believes in it.
2: Well, seven, you have to have a gross thesis, right? There's no way to make this underwrite unless you do that. Or how are you thinking about it?
1: Well, I mean, think about you really don't ever need a growth thesis. You need to have the ability to just ride the coattail of the builders because the real estate market going up is your all the growth. If you can catch that tailwind, it's all you need. And this is a business where you could have feasibly, if you were set up properly a 15 or $18 million rev year, but you also could have a $3 million a year uh, revenue business. And that's where the uh, allure of the maintenance contracts comes into play. And if you can keep them and you wanna keep them, that is all the risk protection that you have with the drop in the development. So if I bought this business, I would work like crazy to enhance the maintenance contracts, not because that's our core business, but because that's the best risk mitigator that you could possibly have.
3: So Mike, one of the things we talk about a good bit on anything e-commerce related, and Bill kind of helps pull back the curtain on, is people will think, hey, I'm just gonna buy this Amazon FBA business And I'm going to transition it to my own dot com. And Bill's like, that's the hardest thing in the world. I'm wondering, do people look at this type of business and say, hey, I'm just going to buy this thing that does track home development installation and some tag along maintenance work, and I'm going to migrate it to, you know, a robust, you know, B2C lead generation funnel. Like how hard if you if you had this asset base, right, and you wanted to start to control your own destiny and not rely solely on the track home builders. How hard is it? It's a totally different gear, right? It's a totally different mindset.
1: Yeah. And I'll clarify, I guess, my comment of what I would focus on initially with the business when I talk about growing the maintenance. I would grow it towards the HOA, um, the property manager uh, realm of landscaping and getting the lawn maintenance contract. So that way, it's the same type of service. It's just we didn't happen to develop that community. So I just want to clarify that's what I meant by that. But to answer your question... It's extremely hard to switch from B2B to B2C. And it's extremely hard to go from residential service to commercial service. It's completely different. The maintenance in terms of the people aspect of it, the customer relationship aspect of it, how you mow, the types of equipment you have, the type of installation you have, the timeline you're given and the project side. I mean, it's completely different it's world. Different. And yeah. I have a landscaping, a commercial landscaping business and I have a residential maintenance business now. And they couldn't operate more differently in what they do.
0: Yep. So before we move on from this deal, I did just want to point out a funny thing from the Sim. This is probably the most South Florida uh, adjustment <laughs> ever because the <laughs> other adjustments include the owner's car expenses, the owner's beachfront rental properties that are being paid through the business, and the owner's jet skis, which Gurdly I know is your favorite ad back of all time. All of these things are being run through the business and being added back. You could just look at these ad backs and go, yep, that business is in Florida. <laughs> well, I can also tell you, uh,
1: I know all their favorite sports teams because all the season tickets are, uh, are in there know. too. <laughs>
0: so, <yeah>. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all yeah, right. That's awesome. <laughs> well, cool. That was a good one. We're going to move on to our second deal. But first, uh, Michael is going to tell us about our second sponsor.
2: Yeah. So this is our first other podcast to sponsor us. And also the first other sponsor to make fun of us in their advertising reads. So I think, I think it's like a perfect a perfect setup. But this sponsor is uh, Will Smith, who has an acquiring, a podcast called Acquiring Minds. I pulled it up here on the screen. Um, and he does some cool episodes around going into the stories of people that are acquiring businesses, especially small businesses. So here's a cool one um, from September about how, how to buy a medical billing business. In the ad copy, he wants people to know that despite us hating all the deals seemingly that we look at, uh, this is a podcast that includes some deals that people actually liked and closed on. So thanks for Will for uh, for sponsoring today. And if you have a chance, check out the Acquiring Minds podcast on wherever, I guess, uh, you get your podcast for free, Apple Podcasts or any of the other apps out there. So thanks, thanks again, Will. Hey,
1: to, to plug uh, your sponsor, uh, I was a previous guest on his podcast and I will be a guest next week uh, for a second time and, uh, you know, awesome uh, podcast and I've listened to almost all the episodes and it's, uh, it's really cool and I uh, hope you guys listen.
2: Yeah, super cool. there's a coffee, coffee. business oh, here, awesome. some pretty fun ones, a plumbing company, uh, all that kind of stuff. Going Gardner, on, are so. you fact-checking me that I was on this? No, no, I was just looking. So, they've got five stars. I mean, there's some good, good stuff here. So, Will's got some good stuff going on. So, yeah, sure, (laughs) yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) All right, thank you to Will for sponsoring the podcast this week. Um, So, I'm going to be reading our next next deal, which is not under NDA. So, Michael's going to be able to screen share it. So, we're going to read this one. Uh, This is another landscaping business. So, right over Mike's home plate. Uh, This one is called Zen Outdoors. Some, some fun things in this one. So another landscaping business, it's an excellent opportunity for an already established landscape company looking to acquire through acquisition at a discounted price, which is asset value only, it says here. It is an absentee-owned lawn maintenance business, which we'll come back to in a minute, serving Orlando and Tampa Bay areas for over 35 years. With 1.7 million in assets. Always concerning when they mention the assets before the revenue or the profit. (laughs) Uh, Monthly recurring billing from maintenance services is over 200 grand per month from over 100 accounts. The customer base is about 80% commercial and 20% high end residential. Uh, This business is heavy on administrative overhead and would benefit from an experienced investment group already in the landscape industry. It is not SBA eligible. It is doing about 5 million in gross sales. Uh, about 460,000 of net profit and they are asking 1.725 million dollars which is exactly the asset value. So it seems like they're just basically trying to get out from under all of their trucks and mowers and everything else. They have 55 vehicles which they value at 1.5 million, eight trailers 32,000, large equipment whatever that is at 45,000 and mowers for 92,000 makes up the 1.7. Uh, Another thing that's interesting about this business is Zen Outdoors has been around for 60 years, and it has their two locations in Tampa and Orlando, as we mentioned. Uh, Their commercial division is an industry leader for over 30 years and has always valued quality above all else. What's really interesting is in March 2019, Zen Outdoors was acquired by three doctors with vast aspirations of growing the company with the end goal of having a strong management team in place and being absentee owners. Spoiler alert. It didn't work out that way. (laughs) Shortly (laughs) after acquiring the business, they also purchased another $700,000 landscape business assets in preparation for future growth. The partnership of doctors quickly realized that it's best for them to focus on their careers being doctors. (laughs) Hence, they have decided to sell the company for only the value of the assets. This is a great opportunity for an established landscape company to grow by acquiring this business for a discounted price. And of course, this opportunity will not last long. So they've got... You know these these three doctors have owned it for basically three years, so they decided they hate landscaping, and they make a lot more money cutting people open. So they'd like to go back to that uh, and sell you their one point seven million dollars, which is apparently what they value at assets. They're fifty four employees, they're five million of revenue, and they're four hundred sixty two thousand dollars of EBITDA for one point seven million dollars. So what do we think about this one? Zen Outdoors.
3: Does anyone want to take the floor?
0: <laughs> go for well, it, it, Mike. Like-
3: <laughs> i mean it looks like their performance has really suffered right i mean so full year revenue in 2020 was over five million dollars and in the first six months of 2021 it looks like they're kind of sucking wind and they were, they were planning on growing uh first six months revenue was only uh, 1.8 million dollars and they've they've lost money yeah uh, so they're on opening. track
0: they're on track to decline from five million in sales in 2020 to 3.6 million in sales in 2021. <laughs> and they actually, even on an adjusted basis, lost $30,000. So they've gone from four, 475000 of EBITDA in 2020 to on pace for negative $50,000 of EBITDA this year. So they did mention at the top of the sim that it was administratively overburdened because their gross profit percentage has not really changed from 87% to 84%. But for some reason their SGNA as a percent of revenue last year was 77%, which holy cow. Uh, and this year it's 85%. And that was enough to eat all of their nine point five percent EBITDA margin from the prior year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a classic example of you know, three, I mean, listen, they're smarter than I am, obviously. Three smart guys, you know, getting together and saying, Hey, who can't do landscaping? Let's go buy one, and it's a cash cow. And then I'm sure they found out, oh, this is a little tougher than what we thought. You know what we should do? Let's go buy another one. And <laughs> just dig a hole deeper. And when when you're an absentee owner, and I have no problem with being an absentee owner, like hey, I, I think that's I think we all to a degree work so we don't have to be there. But what they did versus or what they did is they just lined the businesses up with administrative overhead and I can only imagine they took the two acquisitions they had and just left current administration and added on. And they're smart guys. And if you look at the titles that they uh, have for overhead, I mean, HR manager, office manager, lead ops manager, salesman, like all these things sound great and look cool on an org chart. You know, I don't know what they do uh, all day. And um, versus the approach they should have done. And I think this is more successful of, hey, there's three of us, right? We're all practicing doctors one of us needs to be in this business on a day-to-day basis. And then after six months to a year, hopefully we can jump out and, you know, run it how we assume we bought it. And it just doesn't work. And if you look at their asking, like, first off, like, and I got to give an effort to the, you know, a shot to the broker for trying, but, cause you can only paint a turd so nice. And, <laughs> you know, oh, you know, it's.
3: That's um, the clip for the episode. Button. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what we're gonna clip from this. <laughs> just there, say, "Hey, look, here's here's the little snippet on Twitter."
1: There's 55 vehicles and a couple trailers and some equipment, and they're valuing, uh, you know, essentially, if you remove the trailer trailers and equipment, at thirty thousand bucks a truck. And I think we can all understand and visualize landscaping trucks don't hold that kind of value very well. And it, it's just none, nothing of the deal makes sense at all. They're completely in over their skis, obviously. The business in itself isn't terrible, but what you're doing when you buy this with absentee owners and massive overhead like this is you're walking into a nightmare. There's, I'm sure the guys are bucking the, the managers. I'm sure the equipment's not being taken care of because if they had a true general manager in place, which I see their org chart, and it doesn't look like there's any one guy in charge except them, no one's going to care more than the owners or more than a general manager if he has some skin in the game. And it's just passing the buck over and over. So the equipment gets trashed every day. I'm sure there's bad quality control on the clients. I'm sure the guys a amok. And I'm sure the office people love it because I don't know what the hell they do all day. And I'm sure they're getting fat salaries because the owners are scared that they're going to leave. And so they need these people in absence of them. And That's what's weighing this business down. And and I think when you're taking three, listen, I don't I don't claim to be as much as you guys teased it, a landscaping expert, but I would never buy on my first two acquisitions, a business in Orlando and a business in Tampa. And just for geographical purposes, they're about edge to edge, about an hour and a half to two hours away. And when you're a logistics business and you have little oversight, that spells trouble. And so then when you go to purchase this. You need to have the functionality to manage two locations, or else you might as well take one and just remove it off the deal because that's what it is. It's two locations completely separate apart from each other in completely different geographical areas. And it's, I mean, it's just not a good
0: business. I love this business in some ways because it's an example of my favorite seller fallacy, which we usually call the business is worth the mortgage balance on my house. Uh, but in this case, it's the business is worth. What we paid for it, or the business is worth, you know, what we bought all these trucks for. Please, please just give me my money back out of this thing, Uh, which is why, which is clearly why they think it's worth $1.7 million because there is no way by any traditional valuation metric it's worth anything close to that because it's losing money. Um, So, you know, you got to smell that out here.
2: I've left up the organizational chart because I'm still just totally flummoxed that they have six layers of management for a business <laughs> this small. I've, I've never seen that. It's incredible. Like, I don't well, even and, think it... You think <laughs> about,
3: right, that really at this point, if you have three full-time physicians who are at the top of this org chart, that means that every that, that everybody's answering to no one, right? If the lead ops manager has a question who is he actually directing it to? Is one of these positions the point person or does he email all three of them and wait for a response? You know, it just, you can't, you can't operate that way.
1: Yeah. And if you go a little deeper and you like look at the org chart and look at the mechanic labors, right. And the mechanic manager, you need two labors and and a manager because you're in two separate locations that are so vastly far apart from each other. If you had one location, if I bought this business, which if I did, I would advise every single one of you to shoot me in the forehead. If I bought this business, I would immediately remove one of the locations, try to bring everyone in-house that made sense under one location, try to keep some clients that I could from the other location if it made sense. But you could immediately remove probably half of the manager layer by just by just putting in a general manager. And as uh, Girdley's talking about, just someone to answer to. I mean, what's the difference between a leads op- a lead ops manager and then your ops manager and then another ops manager for irrigation? It's a constant, pa- it's it's like the school, and I'm a former teacher, it's like the public school system, just keep passing it up the line. And then it's, then the classic is, well, put it in an email. So that's all these guys do, I'm <laughs> sure. Pass it up the line and then put it in an email um, to CYA. It, it would be a complete overhaul of their office and, um, their locations.
3: All right. So Mike, what, under what scenario would you do this deal? Cause it seems like there's some value here, right? You have workforce, you have some equipment and you probably have some revenue that can be salvaged. I mean, what stops you from going to these guys and saying, Hey, I mean, they clearly have a massive pain point, right? That you can help alleviate. Under what scenario would you say, hey, I'll take the Orlando operations at this price under these terms?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, the 2020 numbers look okay. um, And that number is not with the uh, owners pulling anything out. Just to clarify, their 2021 numbers, they actually lost money. Um, So you're buying a business that is uh, probably going down in service quality, as you can imagine, You're buying a business that is going up in drama and headaches. And you you never want to, from my standpoint, because there is a big difference between a labor on the ground, mowing, edging, weeding versus a manager, general manager. I don't think you ever want to walk into the business and start cutting all their managers. I wouldn't. Um, I need those guys to buy in. I need them to believe. I need time to build with them. And with this business, the only thing that works, if I was to buy, it would to be cut every single one of those managers or reduce their roles or repurpose their roles? It, that's truthfully the only scenario. And then not only do you have to get through that, I'm sure they do some work. You have to repurpose that work, simultaneously rebuilding the client relationships and re-establishing the maintenance quality, because I'm sure over the past couple of years, it's just gone down and hill. So, it would have to be a scenario where it's almost a 100 excuse me a 100 earn out um because i don't value their equipment anywhere near what they value it off of and i'm slashing all your managers and i'm repurposing your maintenance quality control and how you do things and um i need to rebuild your brand essentially i need to rebuild your customers so i would only i would personally only do this deal on a on an earn out basis um Alone, I would not give them anything up front that is meaningful to, you know, relative to us.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, generally, when you see this, you know, i pick on doctors here because it happens a lot to doctors, happens to lawyers too. But you've got a, you know, somebody who is wealthy who buys a business they have no business running and then runs it into the ground. Very often, those are fantastic acquisition opportunities, right? Because they have just run it so poorly. And if you know how to run the business well... It's pretty easy to point at what the problem is, uh, and you're removing it by buying the business. Now, of course, the price really matters a lot, right? In that case, you know, as you're saying, Mike, I mean, if it were me, I would. They think it's worth one point seven million dollars. My opening bid would be zero dollars, because if they don't sell it, they're going to lose fifty grand this year. So my opening bid would in be the first
3: six months, first six yeah, months, and so, the first six so months, right? Yeah. But so
0: my opening bid would be, I'll take it off your hands is, you know one dollar zero dollars you know no earn out just give me the business go lick your wounds and that that's where I would start negotiations on something like this because you're yeah, losing money
1: you're, you're exactly right and um I mean you're exactly right you're hundred percent right obviously i was being generous with the earnout um <laughs> but that they what they if i was advising them I would tell them you have to get rid of one on selling this you have to get rid of one location you need to just go hire manager. So whatever money you guys personally have in your bank accounts, go hire general manager for your one location or promote someone, get rid of that org chart never show someone that org chart ever again. <laughs> and you need to go essentially just tack this on to an existing landscape business because a new owner cannot operate this business. You will swim in a mess for six months to a year. And when you pick yourself up out of you know the deep end, I don't know what it's going to look like this business only makes sense for um, an add-on or a tuck-in acquisition, which at that point, I, if, if we were large enough to sue kind of their customer base, which is pretty large, I don't know if I need any of these people on the org chart um, outside of just the bottom line laborers. So it would then go back to what Bill's talking about. I'm not paying you for any of this.
0: But, that, but that's kind of the, that's the opportunity, right? Is that you can take for- out a ton of cost up front but that is an only an opportunity that materializes for you, Mike, because you already have an infrastructure, so this is another thing that really bugs me. you know, a buyer or a seller rather will look at you, Mike, and go, "Well, look, you're gonna fire all these people, and you know you're gonna then make it profitable and then please value me off of the pro forma profit number and I'm like, well, no, I like that's my risk, right like it's only worth that to me because I'm coming in. And, and slashing everything, taking on all the risk of doing that, you know, bringing my assets to bear, all the org work that I've done to build my org, you know, so it's not reasonable for you seller to want a multiple on a pro forma EBITDA number, you know, based on under my ownership, you know, like that's that's value that should accrue to the buyer, not the seller. But I do end up in this fight a lot with sellers, you know, in our what business. What I love about this scenario
3: for Mike and somebody in your position, Mike, is you could basically go to them and say, hey, okay, let's just assume ballpark, there's $2 million of revenue that you might be able to get in the Orlando market, just rough numbers. You don't need to acquire that revenue from them. You could totally compete it away from them because the business is on the decline. And so I like the position that you're in. It'd be the same if somebody came to me with a uh, you know, mismanaged roofing contractor, commercial roofing contractor in South Carolina. I would say, why would I buy it when I could just outcompete you because you're not performing? That that's a great scenario from a negotiation standpoint because then you can constructively move the conversation from something that you know is naturally adversarial to like Bill's saying, "Let me do a favor and stop the bleeding for you."
1: Yeah, and, and I would I would cherry pick some of their top clients and offer them a multiple on their monthly revenue, and they're going to lose those clients. Obviously, I'm buying them, but this is a very cash strapped business. As you can see, they're losing money, which I'm sure they're losing more than what the sim says and it would give them a chance to liquidate something and in landscaping or lawn maintenance you're generally buying contracts depending if it's a one year left on the deal anywhere from two i've seen four times the monthly rev i wouldn't do that i would be the 1.5 to three months monthly rev so i would take their top five to ten clients whatever i could successfully service and i would just offer them a multiple on the contracts itself. i don't want your equipment i don't want the guys i don't want your location Mm -hmm. i want nothing I'm essentially doing what property managers do and I'm just buying these contracts off of you.
0: All right. Anything else on this one before we wrap it
3: up? All right, man. Really fun, Mike. I'm Some glad you brought ones. these These are good ones. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely.
1: You, yeah. Guys, just let me know where I need to send an invoice for this fancy microphone that I now have. Because uh, someone is getting this bill.
0: Uh, you're going to L- L- send it experience. to the Acquiring Minds podcast. Is where <laughs> <you're talking> <laughs> <laughs> wait,
2: guys, we want to keep the sponsors. We want to keep the sponsors. <laughs> Speaking of sponsors, Gurley, will you sum up for us? Yeah. So we had Acquiring Minds podcast from Will Smith and then Jason and his team uh, for cloud bookkeeping at the Financial Clarity Corporation. So finclarity.co from them. So thanks to both of our sponsors this week. Awesome. Thanks to you guys,
0: sponsors. Um, so Mike, thanks for being on, man. Uh, we'll give you kind of 30 seconds at the end to do karaoke or plug whatever you want to plug. Where can people find you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Twitter, uh, Mike Botkin underscore, you know, in, in terms of anything else, I think, uh, I experienced a call, uh, my first day, uh, after owning this business of an upset client and speaking very, uh, derogatory about some of our employees. And, uh, I guess my ask would be, uh, you know, treat your service guys with kindness, They're doing a service you don't want to do and you are paying them for it. So, uh, you know, treat everyone with kindness.
2: That's a great way to wrap it up. And a shout out, a compliment for Mike. He bid on one of our coffee developments in Texas from Florida and the level of (laughs) professionalism that Mike demonstrated was just amazing from start to finish. Uh, In a world where other people don't return phone calls, Mike is like top tier. So in in your business, man, you've got a bright future. It's pretty impressive.
1: I appreciate that. I do apologize again for uh, not being able to do it, but I appreciate the opportunity more than you can know. And uh, if you ever come to Florida, you don't even have to ask. We're doing it for you. I I know who to call.
0: (laughs) At the very least, they'll catch your grass. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for another episode of Acquisitions Anonymous. Thanks for being here. It's Mike Bakken, our guest. Uh, I'm your host, Bill, and Michael Girdley, and Mill Snow. See you guys next week.